Welcome to the COSEC Show. Join the COSEC Qatari Securities team as they share their insights on the Australian share market, discussing some of their best performing companies, macroeconomic news from offshore, including local domestic news, foreign exchange, as well as commodities. If you have any questions regarding the share market, our phone lines are open. You can dial in on 1300 854 151 or alternatively, email info at cosec.com.au. Exclusively on this show, each guest will reveal their hottest stock pick. For more information on any of the topics discussed, go to cosec.com.au. The information featured in this program is general in nature and does not take into account your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Guests appearing on the program may own or have commercial arrangements with some of the companies mentioned. Before making any investment insurance or financial planning decisions, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Good evening, investors. My name is Will Brownlee, and welcome to The COSEC Show, where we discuss all things relevant in the market this week. Macroeconomic data, currencies and commodities, top performance with it was, and of course, our hottest stock picks for all the week to come. Before I go any further, please allow me to introduce to my, as always, my investment panel and resident experts in the market. To my left, back as always, Mr. Buy the Dip, Dan, how high can you go, Howie? Mr. Dan Howie, how are you today? Good, sir. Very well, Will. Is there a doctor in the house? Our doctor of mathematics, back as always, Dr. Adam Siadakowski. How are you, good, sir? Good, thank you. And back in front of me in the hot seat, as always, the ever mystic, Mr. Louis Mossman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. How are we doing? Very well, very well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. Not too bad at all. The market has been doing its interesting thing. Well, we up about one over one percent today, so that is good to see. Yeah. And I think on Thursday we were down about half a percent. Where are we up for the week? What's I, th- I think we ended up half a percent for the entire week. So just a lot of up days, down days, really finding out where Volatile. we're going. I mean a few days we ended up uh, started up and then ended down. So not a lot of market news to digest at the moment, just kind of, I suppose, evening each other out uh, and levelling out the playing field. So, you know, one of those market weeks where there wasn't too much news, which probably was a good thing just to let markets well, digest. The, well, it was pretty system. volatile even without market news, wasn't it? And the yeah. funny thing was over in the US, our, the lead-ins were strong some days, weak other days, and our market was not correlated to what the futures we're saying, or what mm-hmm. our lead from the US was. I know the US had like a 2% rise the other day, and we ended up the, the day down. Yeah. So interesting kind of things like that. But uh, let's talk about uh, retail sales, because I know that's something that you've been keeping a close eye on, Mr. Mossman. Yes. Talk us through that. Yeah, so the ABS today came out with uh, Australia's retail sales, which showed a 0.9% increase month on month, which was exactly on uh, just just slightly below economist expectations. So what we're looking at here is, of course, retail sal- retail sales going high, which is a positive thing. But you have to remember this is the dollar value of retail sales. And when we're in the inflationary environment that we're in right now, that's obviously can push it higher. Now, what led this rise was food retailing, which was up 1.9%. Cafes, restaurants and takeaway food services also up 3.3%. Now, one that was a bit of a more discretionary one was clothing, footwear, and personal accessories, but that's also might be staples, so 3.1% increase as well. So what we're looking at here at the moment is, of course, the Australian consumer, yes, spending more dollar value on a lot of goods and services, but at the end of the day, a lot of that's just driven by higher prices. If we go to a chart showing uh, what we're looking at month on month for retail sales, we can see that with unemployment moving lower, 
uh, it hasn't really sustained an increase of retail sales. We actually saw it fall in December of 2021, and we're just sitting you know, slightly above uh, zero at the moment, and we're actually declining while unemployment is low. Now, I'll go to the next chart. Well, let's actually show the household savings ratio. Now, as you can see, over the last two years, we've had a massive jump uh, from 2020. A lot of that stimulus is still sitting on not only corporate balance sheets, but household balance sheets. So we are very cashed up at the moment, proven exactly in that chart. So despite these higher increases in prices, Australians' household balance sheets have been able to sustain that and, of course, fork out the funds for these goods. Now, of course, this only has a limited tenure on it, although inflation is being low, and we've got more and more people coming out confirming the story I was talking last week about, which is the stagflationary story. And unfortunately, I do think that is going to persist because, yes... Uh, unemployment is low, but this you know strong savings ratio of households is only going to be able to diminish as more of the income is being spent on these staple goods and services that continue to increase in prices. And as you can see there, the majority of it is driven by food prices and everyone has to buy food. Very good, very good. So that's locally. Let's go over to look a little bit more internationally. Dr. Adam Shedakowski, give us a bit of an update on what's happening over in China. Yeah, so uh, the retail sales in China haven't been very good. So year on year, the last reading, so 10 days ago, was actually um, minus 11.1%, 11 11.1% down, so not very good. And yeah, there has been some consequences because of that. So basically, uh, the government in China is trying now to resolve improve the economic situation so they came uh, so this week there was a announcement from china's state council and really initiative a, a lot of different initiatives to in fact to uh, to improve the economy in china so let me just so it's actually six uh, 33 different points but let me just bring across a couple uh, on the You're track. not going to go through all 33 for us? Do you want me to? No, maybe <laughs> no. in another podcast. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So uh, I will spare you that. But then, uh, some of the top ones was uh, tax uh, re rebates to companies. So basically the tax relief is to some extent tax reliefs and also to some extent def defer payments of tax. Uh, so that is in, a, in the amount of 21 billion US dollars. The uh, second one is uh, car purchase. So tax uh, relief. Uh, Lower tax on that as well, so uh, in regards of 60 billion yen. So uh, that is basically, I mean, there's quite high taxes on cars. I, I think most, uh, most countries, uh, developed countries, so China has reduced that. So overall, when you look at the tax costs uh, that they incorporate into this plan, that is quite significant, 0.1% of China's GDP. And that is a big number, even though the 0.1 doesn't look big, that is uh, that is a, a, a quite significant amount. Like if you look at the expenses for, for example, for COVID they have had in the in this year, it's uh, it's less than that. So um, it's, it's significant. And another thing was really like uh, banks, central banks will double the scale existing tools. So that is uh, so for facility in particular small businesses. So really encourage lending and facilitate more loans and uh, social insurance. Uh, so that is really something in regards to deferred social insurance payments so that is 320 billion yen and that is deferred to the end of the year and so that was some of the major ones but i mean there are many others so in particular something like if people can justify that they have very difficult financial situations there will be facilities for them they can even get help with rent they can get help with other utilities they, they can borrow uh, funds more easily uh, and there is also help with trans transportation there was also initiatives to uh, for companies that are related to the food chain, uh, for example, to uh, somehow cross uh, or cross 
some of the borders or have more access to, to sp uh, spread food across. And there are many other uh, emergency allocations, for example, for, for airlines as well, that have uh, had a lot of financial problems as well. So a long list, a long list of initiatives. Overall, they are trying, of course, to, to do is to boost the economy. I would say there is a, a bit of a problem there, but on one side, the, some of the initiatives uh, is really would increase movements in China. And there is a risk, of course, when that is happening, the, the COVID will be spreading. Yeah. And so the local governments, they are really in a, a bit of a tough spot because on one side, uh, the government at the very top, they're saying we should stay very, very uh, concerned and very, very cautious of spread of COVID. And there is an election later this year. And so if, if some of the parties, they are somehow supposed to pass on these regulations, they, will, they are potentially in a, in a tough spot. Yeah. And, and, there were even, and there were even some anonymous sources saying like, they might not even act on it because they're concerned that if they contribute to the spread of COVID, it will, might, it, it will hit it. It hit them harder. Yeah, what I find fascinating about China is because they've, I suppose, have interest rates a lot higher than the rest of the world, then they can put interest rates lower, going in the completely opposite direction than the rest of the world as well, which I suppose at the end of the day could assist the rest of the world's inflationary, or not assist it, but as well isn't going to hurt world economy too much if they were raising interest rates mm. at the same time so it's softening the blow i think of other interest rate increases around the world their one-year loan prime rate is at 3.7 percent and their five-year at 4.6 that's nothing like you see around the rest wow. of the developed world so they do have a lot more room to lower rates as you see right now because they need it badly. yeah and they did right so 15 basis points was the last one <coughs> that we just announced uh, very recently and that was the highest uh, decrease on record yeah Wow, you guys have really eaten into Dan Howie's time. Dan <laughs> Howie's going to talk to us about what's happening over in the US because I know the S&P 500 is going to a bear market. You've got a couple of minutes, good sir, but talk to All us right. about what's happening there. I'll be quick. <laughs> uh, so as we saw last Friday, we did see briefly the S&P 500 enter into bear market territory, which... Uh, if our viewers don't know, is just under 20% from its high so in if January. Something, some, so if something drops 20%, it's a bear market. Yep. Yeah? So from the highs, which was in one of the very early trading days this year, maybe the second or third trading day of the year, the S&P 500 hit its highs. It's now uh, down about 20%, just shy of now. But on Friday, it did dip slightly into that. Um, and a lot of big institutions are really starting to call the end of this sell-off now. I'm going to pull up a chart really quickly. You can see here uh, four instances in the past before this time. This has pretty well been the end of that sell-off. You can see those four black dots to the previous one from this year is pretty well the end of that sell-off. Um, obviously, the GFC, the COVID uh, drop as well, going well below that. Uh, but a lot of instances where that has been the end of the sell-off. But I guess the difference here is that the conditions for a rally to take place from here moving forward, only one of them is really in place, which is that investors are scared. There's a lot of things that need to be in place for a rally to happen. That is one of them. Um, and that should be the only one that's in place. Now, I guess when we look at these drops in the past, lots of things you've got to take into account. What the central banks are a lot of are sort of looking to do, um, what's sort of, I guess, causing the action um, and causing these drops at the end of the day. So in the past 40 years, the S&P 500 has bottomed out at 20% uh, four times, 1990, 1998, 2011 and 2018. And there's been four times where they've had far bigger losses. So it's pretty even across the board. Yeah. So this is the one that is the tiebreaker. So is it going to get lower? Is it going to bottom out at 20%? A lot of institutions are saying different things. Uh, but the common factor across these 20% drops every time is the, the Federal Reserve, central bank. So each time the market has bottomed out when the central bank has eased monetary policy, uh, at this point in time, they're looking to ramp it up. So that is an interesting point. That is like obviously a concern at the moment. Um, we could see something like we saw in 1973 or 74 where inflation kept going up. They ha kept having to increase rates to keep up and the share market shed 45% of its value. So 
pretty substantial drop there. Uh, but I guess the different thing is here is that we're already already hearing talk of uh, central banks easing monetary policy as early as next year yeah. because we are seeing inflation potentially starting to peak at this point in time. So it's always little changes between, I guess, looking at past performance and what we're experiencing right now. Um, but I guess moving forward, it's, it's really going to be what what is the central bank focusing on? I guess in the past with COVID uh, and with um, the GFC, the focus of the central bank wasn't really inflation. They're looking at really market outlooks and the economic outlook where everything's just sort of, I guess, um, having a pretty poor downturn, but inflation wasn't particularly high during those periods. So there is a lot of differences um, and it's interesting to see the different um, outlooks from different institutions. A lot of people, the people that picked the bottom in 2020 have said we are at the bottom as well. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see moving forward. Do we enter a bear market or do we start to see a rally in coming days, in coming very, weeks? Very good. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for that update on what's happening all around the world. Back to you guys, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take a short break. If you do have any questions for our panel, please feel free to take a video and email it through to info at cosec.com.au. Alternatively, dial 1300-854-151. Everyone who does receive a copy of our book, Stock Market Success, Retailing and Dimmicks for $39.95. In the meantime, we'll take that quick break and we're going to be back shortly with your currency and commodity overview. How do you get the highest returns in the stock market on a consistent basis? Obsessed with this idea, Michael Kadari forms COSEC, Kadari Securities. He seeks, in his own words, a revolutionary investment strategy based on better information and knowledge. Wealth begins with better knowledge becomes his motto. He seeks to identify and accurately pick the next top performing stocks on the ASX. He seeks for consistency. Michael Kadari creates a unique stock market filtering system he names Lotus Bloom, named after a flower that blooms just once. Because in investing, timing is everything. See how accurate Cosex stock picks are. Get a free seven day access to Lotus Blue today. If you want the COSEC investment edge, you know what you have to do. Call COSEC now or visit COSEC.com.au and take advantage of the insights he reserves for his clients. Welcome back. Let's talk about currencies and commodities now. All things that shine, sparkle, fold, and make the world go around. We're going to go straight over to the ever mystic Mr. Louis Mossman. Have a chat to us about gold. How's everything going in that space? Yeah, of course. Well, a little bit of, I suppose, negativity from the week. Suggestions that these China lockdowns could be lasting longer, and they're providing additional support to those markets and lowering interest rates. So we did see about a midweek jump up in gold. Did kind of ease off slightly, though. I did want to pull up a, a longer-term price of gold just to give you an idea of what it's doing. As you can see, it has been sold off quite recently. But if you, I suppose, drew a bit more of an upward trend since the start of the graph on your screen, you can really see that it's, I suppose, on a strong level of support there. So if any point, we might see a little bit of a rally, at least in the near term. Now, despite that, a lot of people are saying that, yes, we've got this inflationary environment around, that gold hasn't been providing the returns. And one portfolio manager... Uh, Nicholas Byron, in fact, from Atlantic Pacific Australian Equities. He's, in fact, thinking that inflation is not a hedge at all. It's a phony hedge, and he'd actually be looking to short the space rather than long gold at the moment. So, so he thinks gold isn't a hedge, and he thinks it's a, it's a bit of a mis misnomer, and he's saying short, not Exactly gold. right. So his uh, most bullish space is, in fact, coal. And we have seen, I suppose, Newcastle coal futures gone from 250 300 now above $400 uh, per tonne. And he thinks that space can continue to go higher. Now, 
Um, for the coal market at the moment, we do know Australia is one of the biggest importers. So I'll bring up a, a chart of, I suppose, the largest import exporters, sorry, by how much they do in tonnes. And as you can see there, Indonesia actually just beats us doing 455 million tonnes a year. And this is as of 2019, while Australia does 393. And as you can see, it drops off pretty quickly because the third biggest seller is Russia. And of course, Russian coal is slightly falling out of favour over the last few months. <laughs> I'll go to a second chart. Putting it mild, mildly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'll go to a second chart showing exactly what proportion of that is of the total uh, sales of coal worldwide. And as you can see, Australia sells about 27%, Indonesia 32 So we have a massive advantage uh, in that space. And I do know that our domestic coal players, we've got Whitehaven Coal, Coronado, a whole host of them doing extremely well. One Ones we've mentioned on this podcast a number of many, times. Many times, many times. And they're continuing to move higher um, at this point. Uh, now, furthering this increased demand of coal, India has actually cut the amount of... Domestic power plants, they're expecting to receive coal this year internally from the company. So you're going to have to increase imports of the commodity as domestic production isn't keeping up. And of course, India does demand a lot of energy and in fact, a lot of coal. And the same thing's happening from Europe. Though they don't get it from Australia, it's just putting continued upward pressures on the price of all energy commodities. But coal is one that I think is going to, I suppose, not even just stay high, but continue to move higher, maybe even hit 450. That's my bullish price target. Wow, very good. Okay, so into coal players, I dare say. Dr. Adam Shedekowski, give us a chat a little bit about oil. What's your analysis there? Yeah, so a positive, strong week. Uh, WTI up 3.5% and Brent up 4.4%. So we are seeing a good week. And some of the indicators is really like we are seeing a, a U.S., is positive. There is a, a momentum uh, day coming in the week of the weekend, and that there is usually there is much more activity uh, happening there. And also China, there are some expectations that things uh, will be getting better, at least in, in regards to oil demand. So there are ex broadly expectations that demand will increasing. And also when we look at the output, so for example, uh, refineries they are really maxing out. So we actually saw ninety three point two percent. Oper operational rate that is the highest since 2019 so they are pumping as much as they can and now what we look uh, what we'll be looking into there is actually more and more investment coming because at these prices it's very very profitable so just to give you some examples so for example Exxon uh, is exploring um, so actually let me give you a map so this is uh, some of the places they're exploring at the moment there is a, s a red star there in the middle one of the new ones for for this year they're actually found five new uh, operation potential places to operate this year and uh, so and they have so now in total 31 just over the last couple of years and this year and we are only half uh, half within the year they already found more uh, this year than any of the other years so that was very very good to see so a lot of explanation and there's expectation that investment into oil will increase uh, more than uh, oil and energy uh, generally will increase 20% this year investment into that. So certainly as the prices are going higher and higher there, there is simply incentive to get into the business, and I think we'll be seeing that. And also, it's also indicating that the business that are already involved in oil uh, will benefit. Very good, very good. Well, let's uh, go over now to something we've been keeping a very close eye on, and that is iron ore. See what it did there? Iron, <laughs> yeah, yep. Okay, cool. Anyway, so uh, by the dip, Dan, how high can it go? Howie, give us your take on iron ore. Yes, so another relatively flat week for iron ore, but we are starting to see the momentum really shift a bit. It is, I guess, consolidating a little bit. I might pull up a up chart real quick this is the spot price you can see a couple of flat weeks last week was the first week in five weeks we saw gains in iron ore and again there was slight gains again this week just up shy of one percent um so again there is some positivity there i think the i guess um rebalancing in china is really starting to add a little bit of positivity there but i guess because we've had a couple of flat weeks 
I really sort of look to the outlook of iron ore rather than looking at what's been going recently. It's still the same demand and supply issues really keeping the price at the current level at the moment. Uh, but I read a lot of analysts comment this week that believe that second half of this year could see some really positive movements for iron ore uh, due to an undersupplied market uh, and increasing policy to support the drags on Chinese construction. So we've always seen a big pullback in their economic growth and their investment into infrastructure. And they believe there could be increasing policy later into this year to obviously stimulate that based on the impact that COVID-19 has had over there. I read some interesting comments uh, from a few Morgan Stanley strategists who argue that iron ore's fundamentals have held up surprisingly well through the period we've gone through in the last, I guess, two months or so. Um, a lot of them believe the price would have fallen a lot more than it did, I guess, with the uh, issues on the demand side. That does seem, you know, relatively, um, you know, fair enough. It seems like yeah, a point yeah. that makes sense. Um, and again, it's something that they believe is going to be the first commodity to benefit when these China lockdowns ease. So... Something else that they came out and said, they said our four main producers, which are Fortescue, Rio, BHP and Vale, are on track to increase uh, their uh, production by 15% into the second half of this year as well. So that's also quite positive. And I think as we do start to see these lockdowns ease, a lot of people are saying that iron ore is going to be the first commodity to bounce back. And considering that it hasn't pulled back as far as possible, we could start to see some very positive movements back to maybe where we were sitting in uh, you know, October, November last year. Yeah, well, I think it's just another reason to be very bullish on the Australian market. I just talked to you about coal, and those prices aren't going. I was going to say, lower. I was about to say, everybody's got very good news on the space. And being a big, you know, heavy, heavy materials, you know, materials yeah. and financials really drive our market. So, well, all of the all of the materials you've got, coal, even the lithium stocks had a cracker day today mm-hmm. with all the big players moving higher. All prices are higher, though our oil players aren't, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yep, doing yep. that well. Uh, but at the end of the day, financials as well are also going to be able to benefit from these higher interest rates. So great reasons to be bullish on the Australian market and the exact reason why the XKO and the XJO are holding up so much better than mm, other Two of the best performing indexes this year. Exactly yeah. right. I love it. Thank you very much. So that's commodities and currencies in the events that have shaped them. Now, are you a bull or a bear? Let us know, 1-300-854-151. Our phone lines are now open, but for now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to have a look what the best and worst performers on Australia were this week. Welcome back. Let's move on to our next section now and have a look at what the best and worst performers for the week were. Now, were there tears shit this week? Who lost money and who has Christmas come early for? Let's go straight over to them, Mr. Mr. Louis Mossman. Give us your chart. Give us your analysis. What are you thinking? What's looking good? Yeah, of course. We'll bring it up straight away. And as you can see, the best performer there is, of course, materials up 2.5%. Despite that energy actually went the other way, minus one74 
One of the biggest losers over in the US was both uh, consumer staples and consumer discretionary once again following off the negative news off Target last week. A lot of these consumer facing businesses continuing to do poorly, um, though consumer discretionary ended flat and consumer staples fell almost 2%. The rest of the sectors, we'll call that broadly flat, but we'll go to some major market news this week one of which was Appen. Yesterday, we had Appen shareholders rejoicing for the first time in what it feels like a very long time. Their share price jumped 30% on the news that a Canadian technology company put in a $9.50 per share offer to take over the entire business. Now, that was obviously welcome news before the market opened. Appen confirmed that that rumour was true. However, halfway through the day, shares were put into a trading hub pending an announcement from Appen Technologies. And one of your articles got featured in the Sydney Morning Herald, is that right? Discussing exactly that. What I wasn't able to foresee and tell the future using uh, was the fact that that afternoon the bid was pulled by the company at $9.50 and Appen shares closed back down at $6.40, losing more than 20% today. So all of this uh, bright and shining light for Appen investors was completely disappeared. Appen said that they'll be carefully considering any further proposals on the advice of their financial advisors, Baron Joey Capital and Atlas Technology Group. Now, the company that was looking to acquire them was Canadian IT services company called TELUS, and the total acquisition for was $1.2 billion. So quite a significant premium to their closing price. It was actually 58% premium. And as I said, I was at $9.50 per share, uh, and they only got to $8.50 yesterday, so the market hadn't quite fully priced it in, and rightly so. But remember, there were buyers <laughs> yesterday. Uh, that Somebody lost. bought at the top. Exactly right. Uh, and this was a Canadian customer service and IT services company. So, look, a negative for Appen, of course. However, there is interest there at current levels. Someone is seeing value, even though it might not have gone through. Hopefully, that you know proposes well for the future. Two more pieces of company news. Some investors might have seen uh, BHP drop 10% early in the week and might have had quite a shock. Don't worry. It was a dividend that was awarded through the, I suppose, the demerger of their uh, oil part of the business to Woodside Petroleum. Uh, like actually, Woodside Energy Group now. Woodside Energy Group, I apologise. <laughs> yeah, back in your box. Woodside Energy Group was listed this week under the ticket code uh, WDS um, and shareholders received w- uh, one new Woodside share for every 5.534 BHP shares. So that was that 10% drop for BHP. And the last piece of news is Qantas. We all know oil prices are quite high at the moment. Qantas has trimmed their capacity on domestic services due to the high oil prices and, of course, the cost that will mean uh, 100 to 103% of pre-pandemic levels, down from 107% on those rising fuel prices. So again, putting pressure on their bottom line and, of course, I suppose, increasing the prices for travel. Um, I was looking, uh, well, my my mother's actually going over to Europe uh, now. She booked a couple of months ago. I think it was $1,800 to get to Ireland. Now, if you're trying to get uh, during the summer period, you're looking at, you know, two, three, four grand, even sometimes $5,000 in peak period. And we're not talking business class, we're talking economy. And this is, you know, way higher than you would have done pre-pandemic. So still a lot of upward price on travel. And of course, maybe it, with the based on the news I gave in the first section, Maybe Australians, uh, you know, look domestically to travel rather than go overseas due to just the astronomical costs at the moment. Wow. Very, very interesting. What about you, uh, Dr. Adam Shedikowski? Care to give your two cents? Yeah, so I wanted to talk uh, slightly about India and the tariffs they have just introduced this week. So I think it's an interesting move because somehow it's saying, like, 
there is a bit of a panic and they're trying to resolve some of the issues they have with really surging prices. So this particular, uh, what I want to talk about is, is iron ore and steel related to that. So there is really a long list um, of changes they have done. So for example, new iron ore export tariffs rose to 50% from a previous 30 uh, concentrate uh, same from fifty uh, from thirty to fifty iron ore uh, pellets from zero percent tariffs to forty five percent. So very significant raise there. Uh, hot rolled coils. So I actually have a picture of that uh, just to. Um, so that's the hot uh, royal coils F tariffs from zero percent to fifteen percent, similar to coal uh, cold royal from zero to fifteen percent. Uh, coated coils from zero to fifteen percent, and their their list list goes on and on and on, and there are like ten more on on the list here. So basically, what they're doing is the prices are going up and up and up. So they're trying to preserve what they have inland, and they even like for example the import tariffs. They some of them were reduced to zero, so make it much easier for for products to go into India. And uh, so that's somehow, I mean, it, it is complicated the situation because every, every single country is doing that, that, that. That's overall not really good for the global economy if you put these barriers uh, and free trade is, is kind of limited. So a little bit of a concern there. And, and the effects we could see, it's, it's going in prices going up, I would say. So certainly something to be concerned about. And that is on top of the other concerns we have seen with iron ore. So for example, for, for the big companies we have, so BHP, Rio Tintro, Fortescue Metals, uh, both supply uh, issues, but also staff issues as well. So, and that has been um, causing problems. So, I mean, so you, you did mention that some of the numbers are pretty good, as, uh, despite the issues they're having. But there is this is certainly uh, this is certainly a, a critical uh, issue, and I think that is one of the things that contributed to the price of iron staying in a pretty elevated position. Very good, very good. And uh, over to yourself, Mr. Howie. You are looking at agriculture <coughs> companies, is that right? I am. So I guess this year we've had a pretty strong focus on materials as a sector, but I guess up until now we're really focused on other commodities, right? Your gold, coal, iron ore, oil, etc. Uh, but agricultural commodities are in a massive boom at the moment. Um, very similar to so what what's an companies. agricultural commodity? So something you can try to like lean grain. hogs or grain? <laughs> grain, fertiliser uh, are two ones that are, I guess, seeing the biggest increase at the moment. Um, and we're seeing a lot of our local players benefit quite strongly. A business that's a prime example is Grain Corp, but we're seeing all these businesses in agricultural commodities get massive broker upgrades just due to these massive underlying prices. Now, the upgrades aren't quite as high as what we're seeing with some, um, you know, traditional commodity players with your iron ore players, uh, et cetera, but that's just to do with the fact that costs are also increasing, so a lot of packaging increasing costs um, and stuff like that. So we've seen a few interesting pieces of news this week. I guess the increase in these Commodity prices is similar to what we're seeing across the board with other commodities. Russia, Ukraine, a lot of the, a lot of these come from these um, you know countries. I think sunflower seeds and sunflower oil, fifty percent of the world's supply comes from Ukraine. Wow, uh, which is quite interesting. So a lot of Who these. Who would have known? No, it's like I guess delving into this, there's a lot of niche different commodities you probably never even heard of. Corn is at like a sixty percent high from the start of the year. Things like that, um, and it's really benefiting these businesses at the moment. Now, I guess on top of that, not just the supply issues from that. There's been a lot of unfavourable weather conditions across... Australia is a prime example. Floods this year, mm. hundreds of millions of dollars of crops wiped out, so adding to supply issues there as well. Um, and the demand side of things is obviously starting to pick up as well. A few key pieces of news from this week. Uh, we saw a, a local player, Elders, on our mm -hmm. um, index, ticker code ELD. They upgraded their uh, earnings, increase, earnings forecast for this year. They expected to increase between 30 and 40% mm -hmm. uh, in the 12 months that ends in September. So that's pretty positive. Um, I guess they've, they've dropped slightly this week, but I mean, the forecast for these businesses moving into the next three to six months is really quite positive. 
And another one was Costa Group. Costa Group was the top performer on the ASX 300 on Wednesday, up just over 8.5%. Um, they said that, yeah, they gave their, their trading update and their forecast earnings to lift as well. So they sort of stated that prices are increasing, but they believe that the underlying commodities, uh, the levels that they're at now and maybe expected to get to is just going to mitigate those costs. So they are also expecting uh, rising earnings as well. Very good, very good. Thank you very much, gentlemen. So that's the best and worst performance of the week. Now, do you have a new sector that you've been watching for a while? Is it time to buy, sell, or maybe average in? Why not send us a message and we can ask our panel in the meantime? Let's take a short break and we're going to get back with the final section of the show. How do you get the highest returns in the stock market on a consistent basis? Obsessed with this idea, Michael Kadari forms COSEC, Kadari Securities. He seeks, in his own words, a revolutionary investment strategy based on better information and knowledge. Wealth begins with better knowledge, becomes his motto. He seeks to identify and accurately pick the next top performing stocks on the ASX. He seeks for consistency. Michael Kadari creates a unique stock market filtering system he names Lotus Bloom, named after a flower that blooms just once. Because in investing, timing is everything. See how accurate Cosec stock picks are. Get a free seven-day access to Lotus Blue today. If you want the Cosec investment edge, you know what you have to do. Call Cosec now or visit cosec.com.au and take advantage of the insights he reserves for his clients. Welcome back. Now, do you have a stock that's looking good? Do you think you could have found the next big thing? Why not take a video and email it to us at info at cosec.com.au or send a text 0422-972-897. Now, tell us what the stock is that you like and why you like it. We're going to track it over the week. The person who tips the best performing stock will receive their very own gold-plated Kadari bull and bear cufflinks. So that's in store for you if you send us a video. Now, to get things started, let's look at what our investment panel is looking at for the week to come. This is this week's Hot Opportunity. So this is what investors are really looking for. We know what gold, oil, and the dollar has done. We know what the top performers of the week were. Now, let's find out what our panel is looking at for the week to come. And we're going to start off with, how high can it go, Mr. Howie? How are you? And what are you looking at this week? Is that a pun? Yeah. I'm excellent. And I'm looking at a business in the tech sector, which is probably not where we've been focusing, but it's Code N Limited. Ticket code CDA. Now, this is a business that designs and manufactures a range of electronic products and associated software for these products. Specifically, they do metal detectors for every application. So, um, specifically across a lot of mining applications. And they also do long-range radios as well for mining and military applications as well. So, they do a lot of marketing uh, to governments and big businesses. Obviously, a lot of uh, big mining companies uh, being a big materials-heavy you know, index and country. Obviously, a, a big sort of market for them there. Um, now, very fundamentally solid company. Uh, it's been a, quite a large company, and we've looked at their financials over a five-year period. Very, very solid. Uh, sales, cash flows, revenues, and earnings all increasing substantially. Uh, they've just had their half-yearly report come out this week. A record revenue, $256 million, oh. up, up 32% from the prior corresponding period. Very, very positive. Off the back of that report, they've been given a very positive valuation by Macquarie, $11.60 price target, which is 50% higher than where they are now. 
Uh, and I'll pull up a chart here, lastly, looking at the technicals of this business. Um, quite the opposite to what I normally look for. This is a, quite a heavily downward trending business. Uh, but you can see here it is looking to really break that now. It looks like it snapped out of that downward trend off the back of some positive reporting. In the last couple of weeks, it's made two higher lows. It's traded well in the upper Donchian channel now. We've seen consecutive bullish candlesticks in recent days. Textbook hammer today, uh, indicating the buyers... Textbook. Are pretty textbook bullish hammer. Buyers are really starting to take control here, which is obviously really, really positive. Uh, and the momentum indicator as well, all positive, looking like it's really starting to make that push towards the north. So obviously a business that the potential is that it is quite undervalued due to obviously that chart and the tech sector being very heavily beaten down and obviously something that, you know, one large broker also sees very large upside on too. Metal detectors and long-range radio transmitters, absolutely fantastic for a country like Australia, which has got a lot of wide open spaces and a lot of metals that we mine. Let's go over to Dr. Adam Shetakovsky himself. What have you been cooking up in the lab this week, Doctor? Well, so my pick is Clean Waste Management, ticker code CWY. And uh, so is that involved in waste management? Yeah. Oh, well done. Very so good. Uh, uh, maybe no just way. to mention <laughs> something that people <laughs> can, uh, can relate to. There is the program called um, Earn and... Return and Earn. Return and Earn, yeah. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Return and Earn. Yeah, so that's... Uh, and I, I actually tried it. So basically <laughs> you return bottles and, uh, and you, you get earn. money for it. Mm. So it's, it's a, that has been going on for five years. So there is a collaboration with uh, for this company and Tomra, uh, Clean Away. And so... Very, very successful project and uh, certainly something that uh, I think many people know. And so, yeah, so this company is, do this is one of the things they have. So they have more than 6,000 staff and, uh, and their vision is really to ensure um, sustainability, lower carbon emission uh, by, by, well, recycle among other things. So um, in terms of macro, I mean, when we see the bigger picture, I mean, certainly I do see potential future for for anything related to recycling anything res uh, of what they are doing it's the macro i think they're very strongly positioned and they actually the pre their last report uh, financial report uh, six months they had they also specifically was mentioning that so saying the strong underlying um performance um, strong balance sheet and um, also prospects in the future for for very positive growth of, of the company so they were certainly mentioning that as well. They collect your wheelie bins in the morning, yeah? Okay, so I wasn't aware they did return and earn. I wasn't aware that was their project. Yeah, yeah, really. One of them. They'll do many things. I mean, I will get back to that. I mean, Jupiter, so that's pretty pretty prevalent. I mean, if you've got a company that's involved with collecting waste from people's homes, I don't think that's going to stop being out of business soon or Abs being out of business. Absolutely. So macro, very strong outlook in that response. So if we look at financial, also very strong. The revenue uh, for the last reading they had... 40.9% increase comparing to the previous one, so very positive there. Underlying EBITDA also positive comparing to the previous one. And dividends, they're also seeing the, the business was good enough, so they increased the dividends as well, 8.9%. Um, so, uh, so, so I would say very, very positive broadly. So, for example, EBITDA was at 273 million, and um, and a very positive cash flows as well. So financials were, were pretty good, I have to say that. Institutions also are very positive. So when you look at the uh, seven institutional uh, brokers we have, so all um, as a neutral positive, so either neutral, hold, outperform, outweigh, or accumulate. So uh, certainly no sales there. So I definitely agree with that. And overall, uh, if on average, uh, an upside of about 8% uh, or 7.90%. So that's looking very good as well. Uh, but what I really think, like, I want to like mention a couple of news that I think uh, is pr very prevalent 
Uh, and I really think that it will be pushing this company higher and uh, it's just steadily growing and, and becoming better and better uh, globally. It's not, it's not only an Australian company, it's also operating, for example, in the UK. So uh, one piece of news is, of course, uh, Aust- they have Australia's largest recycle plant. Uh, is like <coughs> that is a venture actually with, for, uh, for example, uh, CCEP, so Coca-Cola, uh, Europacic Partners. Um, and <coughs> there are, I think, over one billion bottles are being recycled there. So that, that's very, very significant. They also have an announced uh, last month, or actually the month before that, there was a partnership to fund uh, Australia's uh, first and most ambitious hydrogen mobility project. So this is basically where, where big vehicles, so we are uh, talking about heavy vehicle, they can, uh, there are stations designed for them to redeploy hydrogen uh, into the, the cars. And so that is something they're in, in a, a part of. Uh, so also I think r- very, really looking long term because I, I do see the space uh, have, uh, having a lot of potential upside as well. And another piece of news, so this week specifically, uh, just kind of to come back to where I started, uh, the program Return on Earn has been so successful that uh, the government has uh, decided to extend it. So this is the New South Wales uh, Container uh, de- Deposits uh, Scheme, SDS. And, uh, and, well, guess who got the deal for the next four years? Well, Clean, clean Away. No, oh, very good, very good. All right, to finish us okay, off, I want to buy it just off the back of Adam's. Yeah, man, always so every up. single time I end up just buying stocks just on the back <laughs> of Adam's thing. Absolutely, but to finish us off, the man himself, the ever mystic Mr. Louis Mossman, is going to give us his pick for the week. You've got a couple of minutes, good sir. Let us know what you're looking at, why you like it so much for the week to come. Yeah, so we're staying in, uh, I suppose, the energy space, but we've got to look at what's behind the energy space. And we're looking at APA Group, formerly known as Australian Pipeline Trust. And why I say behind the commodity itself, we're actually looking at the infrastructure that facilitates its distribution across a wider network. So APA owns, manages and operates 21 billion of gas, electricity, solar and wind assets. So a massive diversification across that whole energy space. Now, if you are, you know, positive about this transition from, you know, renewables as well into renewables, sorry, they're also in that space and that investment is going to be needed over the next 5, 10, 15, 50 years as well. So they're not stuck in these oil, gas and coal mm-hmm. spaces as well. So I do think that they can still benefit from that transition and these assets, despite them maybe going out of fashion over the next 5, 10, 15 years, they're older assets, they're still in demand. They need to be continually invested in and they can do well off the back of that. Now, of course, despite us doing this transition, we've seen year-on-year increases in both earnings and return on equity uh, for APA Group. In fact, six years consecutively of each of them. And then finally, on a technical basis, I think a lot of this, um, what I just spoke about, is continually feeding into the share price. High highs and higher lows. More significantly, late last year, they crossed their 200-day simple and exponential moving averages, and they've been able to sustain a continued upward trend after that. Now, this week, we have seen them pull back. Um, Actually, each day of this week, they've pulled back. However, they're landing right now on a very important level of support. If you look at that level of support, the abundance of green candlesticks shows that there's still a lot of buyers in that area and around that price level. So currently we're at about $11.43 and I do think there's still a lot of upwards momentum to be had for APA Group, not only in the short term, which is, is predominantly a trading opportunity, but even into the medium and long term as well. And I've also heard that we're going to have energy prices hiked, certainly here in Australia. Yeah, and, I've uh, been told my electricity bill is going up 15% in the next six months. So <laughs> When is that so happening? In the next six months. Yeah, you're right in the next <laughs> six months. So everyone's out there buying candles. Can we buy a stock in <laughs> candles just to, just to sit there and sit at home with yeah, all the Yeah, I'm, I'm not renewing my electricity contract. Yeah, candles a bit of a mood. My, my electricity increased three days ago. I, yeah, I did get my bill the end of last week and I was quite shocked. So 
Well, they, I, they, spend, I spend most of my time. If I'm going to invest so. in them, they better benefit from it. <laughs> yeah, you just live here like Will and yeah, just, 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 yeah, <laughs> just, uh, just live here. It's like, mate, I don't even have a home. I save on so much rent. <laughs> very, very good. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And thank you very much to you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for tuning in this week. On behalf of everyone here at the show, we want to wish our clients, friends, and colleagues a safe and happy weekend. My name has been Will Brownlee, and this has been The Coast Show.